morning, everybody. This morning, I'll be talking about yes to possibility. So we've been on a seven-week journey through a series called the Year of Yes. And so hopefully along the journey, we've been saying yes to a couple of things. And as we say yes to a couple of things, we have to say no. You can't say yes and no to the same thing at the same time. So this, what we're doing, what we're talking about today is a culmination of all of those yeses to one last but most important yes. And this is not a new yes, it's, a it's reflecting in turn on our old yes for those of us who have already said yes to Jesus. For those of us who have not, at the end of this message, hopefully you will be compelled to say yes to Jesus. So wherever you are, however you are processing, you are welcome to journey with me as we go to the past, not the future, to something old and ancient, to something as a part of all of our history. Hopefully you find yourself in the story and can relate and move, be moved, be changed. So anyway, last week, um, I found, I got a recipe from one of the ladies that we run with uh, for soup, right? It's a soup recipe for broccoli and celery. Sounds amazing, right? So um, I don't like vegetables already. So now we're like, okay, broccoli, celery. And she's like, it's a quick recipe. Uh, it's 30 minutes. The reason why it's 30 minutes is because you use a food processor. So instead of waiting for soup the whole day, like other people, you know, this is a shortcut. Great. So I'm like, this is my kind of language. But me being me, I'm like, I'm going to add some chicken. Because we can't have a broccoli and celery soup for supper. I mean, come on. So I add some chicken. And then just before I put it in the food processor, I take the bones out, you know, because you want it to still be soup. And so fine, I take it out, I pour it into the container, so then I give it to my husband. For those of you who've never met my husband, he's here. He doesn't like the front row, so he's over there hiding, waving. So there he is, if you want to see that he actually exists, he does. <laughs> so I, I give it to him, I'm like, okay, please taste, and then he frowns. So I'm like, don't worry, I can fix it. So then I go back to the kitchen, and then I add more stuff to the broccoli and celery soup. I add some Parmesan cheese, I add some milk, I add even some butter. <laughs> And then I'm like, okay, I fixed it. And then I gave it to him. My husband is such a polite guy, so he finished it. I was gagging throughout the whole experience. But I made it, right? So now I'm like, how's, how's this? <laughs> we also have a policy in our home that we don't throw food away. So now I'm super stressed. This food is awful, and we have to finish it. So this morning, um, wanting to take, talk about, in a, in, that was a light story, right? About how you can start off with the best intentions, but one slight, seemingly insignificant move can derail your entire process, right? So I'm talking about being derailed, and what are the things that derail us, and where are the moments in which we have been derailed along the way as a church, as a movement, as a people of God? I love this image, don't you? Another story, not as light, not as funny. I actually come from a line of three generations of pastors. I didn't know this until I was reflecting on this word. That in our lineage, in our heritage, for me to come and be standing here, this is like the third generation of people who are pastors. So along one of the pastors in our generation, one of the lineage of whom I've been a part of, was a pastor for 22 years. And along the way, what happened in 1988, he was invited to a conference in the US. And what happened at that conference, he was told that in 1988, that year when he was there, was the last year of our existence on earth as Christians. So in essence, he was told that the year was going to end that year. 
Now, that was a very serious thing. If you study church history, there have been many times along the way where people of God have believed that the world was coming to an end. Obviously, a part of it was there wasn't enough information, scientific information, to just talk about the world, but also how people interpreted theology. The Bible was only for the priest, right? And everybody else was just going to listen to the priest's interpretation of the word and just believe it. So because of that, it was very easy for people to get derailed. And so this is what happened. He got derailed. So I was born in 1988, that same year, and obviously I'm still here. And so what happened was, not immediately, but over time, he began to become disillusioned by this faith. Because imagine if you thought the world was ending, how would, you be, how would you behave? Whatever you're imagining, that's what he did. Why isn't anyone telling me to take this mouth off my chin? Does anyone in this church love me? <laughs> Right? So he behaved as though the world was going to end. So imagine selling property, saying goodbye to friends, doing extreme things, and the world didn't end. He got derailed. As a church, as a people of God, when we say we are Christians, when we say we love Jesus, there's something that we're imagining in our minds. There's something that we've come to understand about what that means. But there's a, a biblical picture of what Christianity is, right? There is a biblical message that we see, uh, received, as we said yes to Jesus. And a part of that picture includes the following. We spoke about it last week, if you were here, that in Acts chapter 2, there was this outpouring of the Spirit that happened. And through that outpouring, a people of God waited. As per instruction from Jesus, they waited. Because Jesus says, wait for me. And something is going to come that's going to empower you. And through that something coming, which is the Holy Spirit, you're going to see crazy things happen. And these crazy things that are going to happen are going to be better than what you've ever seen happening through me. Already it was already crazy that Jesus had come. We're going to talk about that. What he was doing was already crazy. Now he's saying it's going to get crazier through you. Now these people have no idea what he's talking about, but they obey. They go into this room and they literally wait and pray. And as they're doing that... The birth of the church happens, right? This outpouring happens that results in different tribes and tongues coming together under one. A new community of faith is birthed. And this community starts announcing this proclamation that Jesus announced. And from there, there's this preaching of repentance that results in salvation, that results in demonstrations of the kingdom, right? And a kingdom community, a family of God is born. There's signs, there's wonders following all those who believe. And then that results in family reconciliation and restoration, societal order, restored nations, injustices addressed, and this was normal Christianity. It was normal. So this is what happened. Jesus started it. The disciples heard what Jesus said, followed it, and they continued to do it. And then later there was a man called Paul, who this whole series we've been talking about his life and the work that he did in the church. He believed the message. He continued the work. And then many churches were birthed. And it's almost like he was like the father of all of those churches, making sure that this doesn't stop. And he stewarded that. And that continued for 300 years. So what happened after that? The church got derailed. By what? What are the shifts? What are the change? What happened for the church to get derailed? Because if this is normal church, is this what we're experiencing? Every day, like our norm. I'm not talking about the exception. I'm not talking about those wonderful times where worship is on fire and we're having goosebumps and then you leave and Monday you're like, I'm going to change the world. And then Tuesday you're tired. I'm talking about this being normal Christianity, this being the way that the church started, this being ordinary 
because we've received the message, we've believed it, and because we've believed it, everything has changed. That was what church was. What's going on now? Along the way, what happened is the church started becoming a political body. And under the time of a man called Constantine, they started ushering in things that resulted in people having to um, be a certain person to be a Christian. Being a Christian started having political implications. It started having status implication. The temple of the Lord now became a place for the exclusive, not for everybody. And the essence of what it is to be a Christian was lost. So the claim I'm making this morning as you journey with me is that revival, the word that we use so often in the church, is normal Christianity. We're not looking for something in the future that is a far away, distant idea. We are going back to what was promised and what, was, what has already happened. And we are trying to course correct from the ways in which we have derailed from the original mission, the original intention, the original fruit of what it means to be saved. And we're trying to go, that's what the truth is. What about our lives, our church experience, our daily, everything that we're doing doesn't align with that so that we can go back to the gospel not forward to some new thing. So we're not trusting for a wave or an experience of something new that God has not already done. The gospel is a past event, not a future reality that we're contending for. It's already happened. So when we course correct, you're trying to go, when I started, when we started, we started off well. Something went wrong, so we have to go back. Not try and go forward and create new things. You go back to what was already spoken, to the truth that has already been declared. So allow me to take us back. Let me pray. Father God, we, we humbly come, Lord God, not as experts this morning who have been journeying with you forever, not as people who know it all and can't be changed, but Father, we come as children. For your word says that the children shall inherit the kingdom. So Father, we open up our hearts as children before you speak to us, Lord God. Take us back to the beginning to the place where you birthed us, Lord God, before we were even formed in our mother's wombs, Lord God, you knew us. You planned it then, Lord God. So take us there, Lord God. Take us to heaven's intention for us, Lord God, that we would experience and know you, Lord God, and repent, Lord God, for the ways in which we got derailed. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going back. So in Mark 1, 14 to 15, Jesus makes this proclamation. He comes into Galilee, he proclaiming the gospel of God. He's saying the time has been fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is an announcement, not an instruction, right? He's, he's, he's announcing a new rule. He's saying a king has arrived. The promised king has arrived. Introducing a new kingdom, inviting you to become a part of it and become his people. Nowhere in there is there a list of things that you need to do to become saved. But our belief of what the gospel is, is a list of instructions that will make you saved, that will make you right with God. It's like there's a ladder that we need to climb to get to God. That's not the gospel. But that's what we live. So we know this to be true, but sometimes our, life, our lives reflect a process, a template that we're trying to fix, that we're trying to follow to fix things. But it's not the gospel, because every other religion has that template. So how can we be living a template of a religious experience and expect a transformed gospel experience? We can't, right? So the first thing I'm asking us to reflect on is, what is our gospel? 
it says Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the gospel. He's saying it's time. I'm here. Let's go. Then afterwards, he passes along the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he says to them, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. So the gospel, responding to it, is following Jesus. Not crossing over a line that says, I was going to hell, now I'm going to heaven. I believe the gospel. Right? Because some of us, is that ticket, right? It's like, all you want to know is, am I, right or, am I on the right side or on the wrong side? Am I in or out? That's what we want to know, right? But I don't know that Jesus invited us to be in or out. He invited us to follow him because he's on the move. And so if the yes that we said yes to is crossing over a line and then we're standing somewhere, please know that Jesus is gone. Because he was moving when he called the disciples, right? And so if we just crossed over a line and we stood, he moved throughout Galilee. He moved throughout every city, calling people to what? To follow him. And so if our Christianity is marked by a stationary you, that is not what Jesus invited us into. He didn't invite us to come and stand. He didn't invite us to come and wait. He didn't invite us to come and just wait to get ready to cross over a line. He invited us to, to follow because Jesus is moving. Even today, even right now, he's moving. Are we faithfully following him? That is what it means to respond to the gospel. And so then when we reflect on the word of God and we say, where are the things that we are seeing in the word? Where are you? Where are you? Are you following Jesus? Because if Jesus is real and the gospel is true, then the kingdom is possible. If he's real, if he is real, and what he said is true, that there is a king announcing a new kingdom, and if you belong to this kingdom, these signs will follow all who believe. It means it's possible. But the question is, are you following? Because everybody who followed, this was the consistent sign. Consistent. It was consistent. What happens here? We're crossing over a line. We're trying to do the bare minimum, like the bare minimum, to be called a Christian. These people gave everything everything and there were some dire consequences to their years to jesus if jesus is real and the gospel is true the kingdom is possible mark 6 verse 12 says these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe they will cast out demons in my name they will speak a new language all who believe so then in acts 12 2 to 8 this is paul and this is what happened when they just took god at his word and then went to tell everybody else what they've come to believe. As it was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. And on the Sabbath day, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. So he's trying to explain to them this new message. Explaining the power of the Messiah and how he had to suffer and be risen from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Come on, woman. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men, who have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king. There's another king. There's another king. 
and he's called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bonds and let them go. Now, although Jesus was a religious leader, it had some political consequences, what he was saying. So imagine now, we are used to our president coming on to tell us what's going on COVID-wise, right? So imagine like you're watching the news and there's this disruption. We interrupt broadcasting to bring you the special announcement. And then there's Pastor Andrew. <laughs> there's Pastor Andrew on the news, how, all right? And then he's saying, everybody, new thing happening, I'm the leader. Everybody who's following me, please know that there's a cost to it, but it's gonna mean this, 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 Meet me at the Durban Harbor. You've got three days to get there. If you need a lift, call Peter. He's going to send you a WhatsApp. Send you a WhatsApp. Join Carol's WhatsApp group. She'll pick you up. You don't even have to. Then we're going on a bus. This bus is making stops here, here, and here, and we're going to the Durban Harbor. We'll tell you when we get there what the plan is. Now, immediately, you can hear that this is not some safe, casual boat trip that we're going to, obviously. It was a dangerous thing that just happened. First of all, it's an interruption to life as usual, just like COVID, right? It's an interruption to life as usual, and then it's asking you to take a risk by saying yes and coming along. That's the gospel. So the gospel is not, do these things and it's going to be okay. It's come and follow me and you'll see what's going to happen. <laughs> if God defines truth, then freedom is possible. If God defines the truth, then freedom is possible. Truth, absolute truth, is so unpopular today, ne? Because my truth, she's important. My truth, my reality, my mental health, my self-care Sunday, me, 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 it's important. Hmm? If God defines truth, then freedom is possible. I'm currently doing this awesome theology course. I'm sure some of you have seen me run on and on about it on my WhatsApp status. But it's, it's really analyzing atheists and the claims that they're making against the Christian faith and, and almost considering them deeply. And one of the things they say about God is this. is like, why, does this God so, why is this God so obsessed about us worship, about worshiping him? I mean, he created people. They must worship him. He's so self-centered. So the claim is that God is self-centered. So God was bored in heaven, created people so that they can worship him. This is the claim. So I've been thinking about this because you have to think about it because it's easy to just say, yeah, but why God? You know? So yeah, like that's how I, like you read it, it makes sense. And then you have to go wait and you have to think about it. So as I'm thinking about it, I'm going, but what is the purpose of worship? Because remember when we were doing the Exodus series, God says to, the, to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can worship me. He doesn't say to the people of Israel, let them, like, they need to worship me, like, like let them go. That, like, he says, let my people go so that they can worship me. Worship is closely related to freedom. I'm going to explain. The right worship of God results in human flourishing as God has intended it. In the garden, let's take it back to the garden. In the garden, they were free. They were operating with God. They were in communion, undisturbed communion with God, and then they were able to interact with nature, interact with each other in a way that was in harmony. That's a picture of worship. Not like us standing the whole day worshiping as in singing, right? So worship was undisturbed communion between God and his people, and it was an undisturbed, unbroken fellowship between God and nature that enabled people, Adam and Eve, to plug into the fullness of God and extend that to all of creation. That was worship. That's right worship. 
And so when God was saying, bring back my people so that they can worship me, so that the fellowship between me and my people would be unbroken, so that they can be healed and restored to what I had initially intended. So when we worship the right thing, our lives become ordered in a godly way, in God's original design, God's original intent. That's why the first commandment is, you shall worship no other gods. Because as you worship idols, you become defiled and your human flourishing becomes affected. So when you say self-care me, um, worship me, prioritize me, and you're worshiping yourself, you are now the idol. Right? And then when you're worshiping yourself, how are you going to bring about your own flourishing? Right? And then you worship yourself, you can't bring your own flourishing, and then you come back to this text that you're not living, and you, you accuse God of not doing these things, the God that you're not worshiping. So John 8, 32 says that, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Three, the truth is a person and his name is Jesus. But he's not asking to join your fan club. He's not asking to be a part of your life. He's not asking to come inside your heart and be trapped. Do you know that God is a lion? You want to trap a lion in your heart? Do you know that he roars? Do you know that he roars? As God is in my heart. He's sweet, sweet Jesus. God roars. He roars. He thunders. Come on. Do you read the Bible? He can't be trapped in your heart. And you consult him when it chooses you. And you pick and choose how you're going to relate with the lion. You are going to decide your terms of relating with the lion of the tribe of Judah. Come on, guys. Who have we pledged our allegiance to? Are we following the lion of Judah? That's what Christianity is. And of course you should be thinking, what am I doing? Of course you should be thinking that. Because guys, if that's not what we are living, then stop expecting the fruit of this word to come in your life, the cities. This is what Christianity is. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. My terms, my worship, worship me and it will be right with you. We cannot worship the God of our own understanding. That's an idol. It's an idol. It's an idol. So we make God in our image. We worship him the way we want to. And then you come back here to the word and ask him why there's a... a yes, it's connected. Because like, let's go back. Mark 1, 16 to 17. Come follow me, Jesus said. Come follow me. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to follow steps. You don't have to get yourself saved. You don't even have to dress right. Just come and follow me. You don't even have to think right. Do you know that a lot of, along the journey, the disciples actually believed later? They believed later. Because they were asking questions the whole way. So what's going to happen when we get to Durban? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So what's going to happen when we get to Durban? What does this mean about Caesar? Is Cyril Morphosa still the president? Okay, so like they're so confused, right? But they believed the message. They believe the message and now they're in the bus. So they're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? <laughs> and they're just going. They had faith. If the church is alive, then hope is possible. If the church is alive, then hope is possible. If the church is alive, then hope is possible. Church of Jesus, where are you? Come alive, dry bones. Come alive, dry bones. 
believe the old message and live as though it's true. It's not a new message. I'm not saying anything new. It's all in the Bible. This was the invitation. Is this what we said yes to? Colossians 1, 26 to 27. This mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the gracious riches of this mercy, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The king, his kingdom, his representatives, Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Genesis 1.26, when God said, let us make man in our image. I'm sure you hear that a lot, the image of God. So in Old Testament, and not even in, it's not just restricted to Christianity. In different faiths, you have a temple, right? And it's, it's more customary in olden days, more than it is now. But there are still temples, especially in the Eastern traditions and faiths. So you go into a temple, and when you go into a temple, what you usually find is there's a symbol of some sort that represents or reminds you of a god. So that symbol is not necessarily supposed to mean that you're worshipping the symbol, but the symbol is reminding you to worship a god. So uh, something I can compare it to is like a cross. When you think of a cross, you're not worshipping the cross, right? It's reminding you of what Jesus did at the cross. So, so when Jesus says that we are the image of God, think of that. That as people come into the temple and they see the image, it reminds them to worship. So if we are the image of God, when the world encounters us, what we should be is a reminder for people to worship God. And the more people worship God, the more human flourishing on the earth will extend. That's what we mean when we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? So we're worshiping God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And you're saying, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How we do that, we worship God rightly. And as people look at us, we help them to worship God rightly. And when the people of God, when we are worshiping God rightly, and we are helping people worship God rightly, then there's restoration on the earth to the original design, the original purpose, back to the garden. So that's why it's also not okay for us to keep it to ourselves, right? Because it's not going to be okay if it's just us in our corner, we're fine. That kind of thinking works if we're thinking of a line. Everybody, how we safe? We've crossed the line. That's not the gospel theology. That's not the invitation that we've said yes to. The invitation is come and follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Why do we need to fish for men? Because all of us need to worship God rightly for there to be a godly order on the earth. That's the purpose of the church. Not for us to have more visitors here at church, guys. We love you visitors. Thanks for coming. But that's not the purpose of church. That's not the purpose of why we exist. Not for us to just sing songs and make announcements and then listen to Carol. Come on. Carol, you're great. There's more, guys. There's the worship of God who is endlessly worthy. Who is endlessly worthy. And if we believe that he is king, and that because he's king, there is a new kingdom, and because we could belong to that kingdom, these signs will then follow all who believe. We're not worshiping the signs. We're not chasing the signs. Even if you chase the signs, they won't come. Because the signs will follow all who believe and follow. As you're following, the signs are meant to be a testament to prove to people as you're talking, as you're engaging them, that, oh, she's sent by me. He's sent by me. That's what the sign is for. Not just for just here in this church, we heal the sick. We do. 
in Jesus' name, but that's not the purpose. It doesn't just end there. We heal the sick. We contend for demons to, be, to flee. We contend for breakthrough so that people would know that there's a king. So that people would know that we've been sent by the king. So do you understand that these signs have a purpose? To be an affirmation, a confirmation to all those who come to believe that, hey, I sent that one. That sign is a confirmation. We're not chasing after signs. The signs must chase after us because we're following Jesus. Ephesians 3.10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold woman of... The manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. I love to the rulers and authority, right? The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realm, not just on earth, through the church, through you, through you, you, you. Don't just cross over the line, follow. Because his intent for you, for your life, for your family, is that through you, the manifold wisdom of God would be known. Through you, not through the pastors. Our job, Ephesians 4.11, is to prepare the saints for the work of ministry. That's you. Our job is to prepare you so that you, the church, yes, to possibility, Biblical Christianity is possible because we are worshiping and following the same Jesus. Revival is a Jesus kind of church living a Jesus kind of life. If Jesus is real and the gospel is true, the kingdom is possible. If God defines truth, then freedom is possible. If the church is alive, then hope is possible. Yes to possibilities that are endless in Jesus. But the only thing that's required is that you would commit not just to say yes to having your Lord and Savior trapped in your heart, to faithfully follow Jesus. So we don't want to talk about Jesus as though he's not in the room. Because he's here now. Remember the lion. The lion is here and he's roaring. Not only is he inviting you, if you have not come to believe this message, but he's roaring over you who may have said yes and have forgotten what you said yes to. And he's also reminding you who is prioritizing comfort that there is a world that needs the message, the hope that you carry. And he's also reminding us who are discouraged beyond ability to get up that that's not the end of the story. This is not the end of the story. Because of who we are, hope is possible. So if you have been battling with swollen feet, so your feet have been getting swollen, um, also hypertension, Lord wants to heal you this morning. If you've been struggling with like nightmares, like night terrors almost, the Lord wants to heal you this morning. There's another one. But if you're here in this room, the Lord wants to heal you this morning. Because he's in the room and because we need it as a sign to remind us of the yes that we've committed to. So I'm going to ask Carol to come and pray for those things in a moment. But I want to pray this over you through song. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's Matthew 6.33. The, the prayer I was talking about that our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
So why don't you just close your eyes, receive this prayer, then Cal's going to come up. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come quickly, your will be done the same. Here on earth as it is in heaven, let heaven come to earth as it is in heaven, let heaven come. Let heaven come, let heaven come. Thank you, Lord. Heaven is here, heaven is here. Lord Jesus, there's nothing more that needs to be done for the fullness of your kingdom to be manifested in our midst. And we receive that, Lord God. We say yes to following you. We say yes to walking in your footsteps. We say yes to being with you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. So if that's you and you are suffering from hypertension, high blood pressure, won't you just raise your hand? We want to pray for you and trust God for a miracle for you. Is there anyone here who's battling with that? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Just keep your hand raised over there so people can get to you at the front here. So I'm going to ask any ministry team or leaders, won't you just move around and get to these people? There's one in the front, there's one on the side there. And then if there's anyone here, you're battling with swollen feet, just your your feet are swelling. Is there anyone here who's battling with that? Anyone battling with that? Just raise your hand if that's you. There we go at the back there. Someone won't go and pray back there. And and then if people are battling with night terrors, you are having, you're just having unusually bad dreams, just waking up in a sweat, just you don't even know why. Here we go. Anybody else battling with night terrors? Is someone at the back there? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Ha ha. <laughs> so where you are, just take a deep breath. Remember, there's nothing we have to do. We're not we're not working to bring healing. We're simply yielding to the truth that is already here. We're simply yielding to the truth that is Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There we go. You can just feel his presence moving. I can feel his presence moving. Where you are, just receive his presence. Right now we speak to that blood pressure and we say normalize in Jesus' name. 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 Thank you, Lord. Just receive. There's a peace coming on all of you. Though. With, the, with high blood pressure, there's a peace that's just invading your, your soul right now. Just receive that. Thank you, Lord. 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 The swollen feet right now, I speak to the, that swelling, to that, that blood circulation. We just say work as you should. To that stress that is causing the stress, a physical stress in, in the legs that is causing that swollenness. 
that inflammation, we speak to that right now. We say you must go down in Jesus' name. There we go. There we go. No more swelling in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. A complete release of that. Everything back to the way it should be. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Are there any injury or, or disturbing of the tissues in the foot or in the leg? We just say be healed right now in Jesus' name. All that inflammation, that swelling, we just say go right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm just seeing something happening in that particular one leg of that person who has the swollen feet. So I just want to wait a moment. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Do that. Heal that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then we just speak right now to those night terrors, and I just command them to go in Jesus' name. Every, every demonic attack against these people that is just causing those night terrors, we command that to go. That excess adrenaline that is just pumping into their systems, we say, you must, be, you must go in Jesus' name. We just speak peace into their soul. Every bit of anxiety, we command that to go right now. No more, no more. Every lie of the enemy, we say, you must fall to the ground. You will not bear fruit here. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Sure, let's give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Jesus. Musa, powerful, powerful words. I agree. It should be a book. It's the start of a good book. Wow. You can say it backwards. Wow. <laughs> For those of you that missed that news broadcast, Still come join us in Durban. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Why don't you just stand as we close? You know, this message that Musa shared, this is, this is the truth of the kingdom. It's not, it's not something that is shared in most churches around the world. There is a modern message in the modern church that has diluted the message of Jesus. The message in the early church wasn't come to Jesus and he'll fix you up and he'll give you a beautiful life. The message was, why don't you come die? How many of you would like to come and die? Where in the modern prosperity message does the words of Jesus, unless you renounce everything, you can't be my disciple. Where does that fit in Jesus just came to make my life comfortable and give me everything I need? Because actually the message is, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And if you are here today and you've like been around Jesus or invited him to come be a part of your own personal life, and maybe Jesus, you can tell me some things now and then, but please just place how I'm living my life. Versus Jesus, I choose to die. I come and live in you. You live in me. You tell me what to do. I give up everything to be who you want me to be. Then maybe you're in this place and you've never done that. Maybe you've, you know, we talk about giving your life to Jesus, but most people just want Jesus to come and add a bit of himself to your life. And there's a big difference. Maybe some of you have just asked Jesus to come be a part of your life instead of giving your life to him. And if you're here today and you have not died to your old self, if you have not said, Jesus, I choose to give up everything for you, but you know today the Holy Spirit's moving on your heart to say, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of the real message, not this diluted comfort message, but a message that says, I'll give my all whatever Jesus wants me to do. And you're here today and you know you need to do that. I want you to just raise your hand up high. We want to pray together. 
Who needs to do that this morning? Just raise your hand up high so I can see it. Let's all pray this together. Lord Jesus, you gave everything for me. Today, I choose, like Paul, to say I have been crucified with Christ. I choose to die, Jesus. I give you my everything. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And today, Lord, I give my life afresh. Whatever I have to go through, I want to be your disciple. I want to live for you. Lord, I bless every person in this church. Make us the church that Jesus is coming back for. Not just a comfortable church has always done things by tradition, but what does the church look like that Jesus is coming back for? Make us that church, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you give the Lord a hand? Thank you, Jesus. Guys, as you go, we encourage you, please take out your phone, scan that QR code that we've got up there to sign up for Making Disciples, where we talk about this stuff and how to not just do it in your life, but how to raise up others who do that too. And otherwise, grab some coffee. If you... Sorry, I just wanted to mention this. If you, if you prayed that prayer Andrew was praying and you know your life needs some radical adjustment or it just needs some, some small adjustment, it's like you, you know that following Jesus, you, you want to change the way your life operates. You've been a Christian. You may have been a Christian for a long time, but you just want, you want your life to be more radically marked by Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you that you would, you would speak to, you would, you would fill in, please, this card here, this Connect With Us card. And where, it's, where it says, um, which best describes you, uh, no, no, sorry, Wait, when it says, how can we pray for you, what, won't you just write down there, I want to live a more consecrated life, or I want to live a life more, more deeply or more convincingly following Jesus. And we will get a hold of you and we will help you. The next step for you is to join our ignition course and just just allow the truth of what you've experienced today to sink into your heart so that you can follow him more exactly. So please do that if that's you. If you feel like I just need more, I know I want to, I want to be more a disciple of Jesus Christ. Please fill that in. And then may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his shalom, his kingdom, all of who he is in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Church, go be the church of the living God. Go live large. Go live big. Go live for Jesus. Follow him every day. Amen. God bless you.